Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. At Mint Mobile, we like to do the opposite of what Big Wireless does. They charge you a lot, we charge you a little. So naturally, when they announced they'd be raising their prices due to inflation, we decided to deflate our prices due to not hating you. That's right. We're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. The Technion Israel Institute of Technology is where some of Israel's brightest minds ask the biggest question of all. What if... What if they could take on the world's biggest challenges? What if they could develop life-changing environmental, scientific, health, medical, and technological discoveries that will make a huge impact on Israel and the planet? But they don't just ask the question, they answer it too. They turn those ideas into reality. They make them happen. To see just some of the incredible things they've achieved, get the Technion Booklet of Wonders at ats.org slash wonders We hope it inspires you to give them your support so they can keep doing what they do best The American Technion Society World-changing discoveries by Israel's brightest minds made possible by you Hey listeners, it's Mishi. Last week we released our 50th wartime diary. This week is Yom HaZikaron and Yom HaTzmaut. And as a way of marking this milestone, and these dates, Yochai Meital and I will have a series of onstage conversations in New York and Cleveland. We'll discuss the process of creating wartime diaries, talk about some of the challenges we've encountered, the dilemmas we've had, the insights we've gained, So if you want to hear what covering the evolving story of this war has been like for us, we'd love to see you at one of our events. All the details are on our site, israelstory.org. And meanwhile, wishing us all calm and peaceful days ahead. If you were to uh, meet me on the street... I don't think the first thing that would come to mind is, well, that guy must be a veteran of a special forces unit. Yes, uh, this is a radio show, but I'm, you know, I'm four-eyed, nowadays slightly chubby nerd. Nothing about me screams fighter. Hey, listeners. It's Mishi. So, as you know, during these incredibly difficult days, we're trying to bring you voices we're hearing among and around us. These aren't stories, they're just quick conversations, or postcards, really, that try to capture slivers of life right now. Many people, as you've heard again and again in these wartime diaries, sprung into action since October 7th. And yet, at the very same time, many Israelis feel lost. Not everyone knows what to do. Not everyone feels useful or capable or relevant. In that feeling, it resonates with Alon Shalev from Tzur Adasa. Zev Levi brings us his story. Uh, I'm Alon Shalev. In my day-to-day life, I'm a would-be intellectual, 
Uh, I write on issues on philosophy and Jewish thought and the like. Um, I've lived in Israel almost my entire life since I was three years old. I am what you might call a veteran. It's not a word we use in Israel so much because everyone here does the army at some stage or other. Um, but I served in a unit called Maglan. It's a special forces infantry unit, you know, boots on the ground, counter-terrorism. Uh, my unit, you know, the current regulars, were amongst the first to arrive on the scene and to respond before we even had a clear idea of what was happening. Which is why we have quite a lot of fallen soldiers of my unit from the first days. Um, but I was released from reserve duty about six months ago. Um, which is why I find myself in a unusual position in this round, since I have not been called up. Um, on Saturday, October 7th, I was celebrating the holiday at my parents, together with my sister, and there was a barrage of rockets. We were in the bomb shelter. Um, and my brother-in-law, who's younger than me, was called up. And I stayed. I could tell you that on the night of the October 7th, um, after we started, we were observant, so we we didn't, you know, open our phones or the television to catch up on the news until the Sabbath came out. And we started to get an idea of the, the degree of what was happening. It was still just at the beginning, but we knew there were a lot of terrorists who infiltrated Israel. Where my parents live is relatively close to the southern border, and there was talk of uh, infiltrations reaching practically as far as where my parents live. And I found myself spending the night sitting next to the door of my parents' bomb shelter, where my wife and children and my sister and her children were sleeping, uh, armed with a hammer, you know, in case, by any chance, it reaches as far as where my parents live, since I have not been called up. And dozens of people I know here have been, right? And we've organized as a community and we've each assigned a family to a family of somebody where one of the partners has been conscripted, most cases the father. Uh, we've taken upon ourselves one of these families. Um, we've been making them meals. But it's a very difficult feeling. It's a very difficult feeling when everybody gets called up and you're desperate to do something and to be involved. And, you know, I mean, when I was a reservist, I spent many days waiting for the day that I get discharged from this duty because it was it's a cumbersome duty. I mean, several times a year I'd be called up for training or for some sort of, say, mundane security activity. Um, you know, this could be for a week at a time, two weeks at a time, a month at a time. And I never expected for war to break out five minutes after my tenure was done. I imagined myself, you know, in my 50s being worried about my son, who's now currently in the army. But you know what? We're at war. And when you're a soldier, you have a very clear purpose at that war. You fight in the war. And when you're not a soldier, what are you going to do? I call it the, the members of the NDF, the non-drafted fighters. And you, could, you can see them 
roaming around Israel, you know, searching for something to do for the country, trying to rediscover their purpose in war. There is a sense of something like, something akin to survivor's guilt, uh, which accompanies this particular experience. Um, it's difficult, you know, other people are out there, my friends, I know what they're doing now. They're training all day in harsh conditions or already carrying all sorts of operations and, you know, risking their lives chasing down terrorists who are infiltrated. They're sleeping in the cold on field beds at best. And, you know, I'm, I'm sleeping in my warm bed, you know, with my family beside me. I am not at risk. So, yeah, so there is a... There is a sense of guilt and a sense of shame, even, um, for being here. It's, it's heavy. I'd like to think that if I had the opportunity to jump ahead and volunteer, even if I hadn't been called up, I would take it. Even though there's not a single fibre in my body which craves to be at war, for me it is a duty and a, and a harsh one. Um, but the army has what it needs. And there are a lot of things to be done, you know, over here. Especially in this event where the home front has been hit harder than, I think, ever in our entire history. There's never been an event as catastrophic, as horrendous as what happened on October 7th. It's insane, really. It's, it is unfathomable. No matter how many times we hear the stories... God forbid, watch uh, documentation. I do not. I um, implore anyone who does not need to see these images to avoid seeing them. If there are people out there who for some reason are not yet convinced that Hamas is a, an evil that must be eradicated, then maybe these images are for them, but not for anyone else. My family is clearly very pleased that I have not been called up. They seem proud of my efforts to do something as part of the home front, and they themselves, you know, my son, God bless him, second day of the war when we came back home, and he's saying, oh, maybe I'll go to the homes of people who've been conscripted, and I'll, I'll walk their dogs, or, you know, I'll, I'll make them pancakes, which he did, he made them. I don't know, seven batches of pancakes, which we then delivered to people. But there's also something about this experience. Since my children are somewhat older, and they understand somewhat more, they have questions, and they're scared and anxious, and I need to calm them down, but I also don't want them to be complacent and take risks. And I caught myself the other day, you know, talking to my son and explaining to him, you know, how we should think about this sort of situation, how we should deal with this sort of situation, and I realize that I'm imparting all this knowledge to my boy. Which I really hoped I never would. You know, stuff I learned as a teenager. And now I have to teach my teenage son. Thank you.
Thank you. 